0: This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about something that, probably on the surface and really probably as we dig into it a little bit, is not going to be that fun to think about actually applying to our lives. And that is talking about hiding. And I'm going to be talking more about how easy it is to try to hide from God, but also a little bit about how easy it is for us to try to hide, especially our flaws and our faults and our missteps and our insecurities and those sorts of things from the people around us in our lives. And... As I was thinking about what this looks like and the way that it plays out for many of us, I started thinking through um, why we do this. And, you know, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one who has the experience sometimes of knowing that there are some people in my life who I know that they like the idea of me more than they like actual me, right? Where I know that if I spend time with this person or these people and I'm just myself, I just do and say and think and feel what comes naturally, I'm gonna walk away from that time together, from that interaction, and it's gonna be pretty clear to me that the people that I was with in that moment, were disappointed. They were hoping that the version of me that is kind of in their heads, right, of who I am, of this kind of quiet, reserved, don't really share a lot of opinions, not trying to upset the apple cart, da-da-da, just sort of go along with the flow person, which, I can totally be, that's not me acting out of my most natural wants and needs and desires, but I can do that and I can walk away and know, hey, they enjoyed spending time with me right there. Now, the problem with that is that I walk away knowing that they like the version of me that I know they like, more than actually knowing and liking being around me. And I don't know, so maybe you haven't had that experience. Hopefully you haven't. That's awesome if you haven't. But I think that moments like that lead us to continue this thing that comes really naturally, which is this habit that can easily form of hiding. And I've talked in multiple episodes and I'll continue to talk in multiple more in the future about the way that God works in our lives. And part of the thing that he does is he helps us to make this transition from people who hide because we think that, man, if, if everything about me was suddenly laid bare, if everyone knew what I'm actually thinking in that moment, if everyone knew what I'm actually doing when no one's around, if everyone knew what I'm actually saying when I'm anonymous online or when I'm anonymous in a big enough crowd of people and nobody knows who I am, man, that would be devastating because people would see the real version of me, right? And if that stuff was exposed, man, I don't I don't know if I would recover. I don't know how I could. And I started thinking about the the passages, particularly in the New Testament, where Paul um, in Ephesians 4, he talks about in this, heading that in your Bibles it probably the section starting in verse 17, the heading for that in the version I'm looking at right now is called the new life. And Paul makes this distinction, and I've talked about this idea in a previous episode to put off your old self, which Paul says belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt Through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. You see, Paul is making this distinction between what he calls the old and the new self. Now, I've found it helpful because, you know, you hear that idea and it's it's kind of an, I don't know the right way to describe it. It's kind of an obscure or kind of a um, abstract concept, right? That there's this old me and this new me. There's a, a guy who I've referenced a couple times and especially was hugely instrumental in me understanding how the practice of meditation would play out. And it's a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr. He has uh, some daily meditations that he emails out. And one of those that I read recently, he describes this difference that Paul talks about here. He calls it the true self and the false self. And so I just want to read a little paragraph, a few sentences from a a meditation that he sent out recently. He says, authentic God experience always, and then he has in quotes, burns you, yet does not destroy you. Just as the burning bush revealed to Moses. Most of us are not prepared for such burning, nor even told to expect it. By definition, authentic God experience is always too much. It consoles our true self only after it has devastated our false self. So do you see this distinction here that Paul makes between the old self and the new self? And here in this passage I just read, the distinction is between the false self and the true self. And what we do is we spend a whole lot of our times, a lot of our time propping up and creating this image of who we are, right? We're spending a whole lot of time, in the words of Paul, kind of, protecting and defending and hiding our old self, because we we all know the continual habits and practices and thoughts and patterns of action and behavior that we have that don't line up with who God is calling us to be. And whether that connects in your mind with the the old self, like Paul writes about it, or the false self, like Richard Rohr uses that idea, what God is inviting us into is this growth, this letting go of hiding. Not because, and I've I've talked about this a bunch and I'm going to keep doing it, not because he wants these parts of us to be exposed so that he can punish because he's excited that we messed up and he wants to get us so that he can shame us and we just live our lives with you know the scarlet letter of hey this is who you are but it's because God knows he's trying to invite us to live in the true self the new self and that means that some of this old stuff has to go by the wayside. Some of our not healthy attitudes, thoughts, words, behaviors. And I think on some level that we know that, that we know that to grow closer to him will mean change, and it will mean letting go, and it will mean surrender. And we're so identified with this old self, with our false self, that we're thinking, man, if I let go of this, or if I let other people know about this weakness in my life, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe this is a strange analogy, but I'm going to try to connect because like I say, I really think that when we're talking in the sense of the old self, the false self, the new self, the true self, which (laughs) that sort of, that sort of sounds like a Dr. Seuss (laughs) rhyme. And sorry, that's not what I was really going for. Um, (laughs) That, wow, that really struck me as funny. Maybe it did you. I don't know. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not faking laughing. That's just a very strange moment for me. Um, and so if when we hear these ideas of the false self and the true self, of, as Paul would say, the old self and the new self, if we hear those things and we're like, man, that's, that's a, like I think I get where he's coming from, but I'm not sure, I want to give an illustration that, I don't know, maybe this is not going to be helpful. Maybe it's going to upset somebody. I'm not sure. But when I was thinking through this, I thought back to a conversation that I had had with Annalise, my wife. I don't know. It's probably been a couple years ago. No, maybe even longer. I, I don't know. That part's not important. But we were driving... Down, We were actually going on vacation to Florida, and we drove straight through from West Michigan down to uh, near Tampa, Florida. And so we started driving at, I don't know, like 4 in the morning or something like that because I drive better during the day. So I try to get a, a few hours before the sun comes up and then drive straight through the day. And then the night, obviously the last, whatever, five hours, six hours where you're driving and it's getting dark out, those are the toughest hours. And so during that time, you know, I'll be like, hey, Annalise, come up with something, you know, find something that we can talk about. And (laughs) so she'll be on her phone trying to find some weird thing that will spark interest or some unique thing or just some regular whatever news article that she can find and we'll kind of go from there. And this night on our drive down to Florida, there was something that popped up in one of these news articles about the Kardashians. And I'm guessing that when I say even that name, a lot of us have some sort of a feeling about it, right? You probably either really enjoy or really don't enjoy the Kardashian family, whether it's keeping up with the Kardashians, whether it's their connection with um, pop culture, whether it's their, you know, connection with musicians, Kanye, Travis Scott, whether you've got some ideas about that kind of stuff, whether it's their lines of makeup or whatever, all different kinds of stuff, whether it's Caitlyn Jenner, I don't know what you think when you think of them. But she showed me a picture of, I think it was Kim and we had a conversation that we were both in that moment, just really struck by, she spends so much of her time and effort and energy and really this would apply probably to all, not probably, this would apply to all the girls in that family. So much of their time and effort and energy on the way that they look, which I'm not saying anything negative about trying to look nice, but we know that they go through so many different cosmetic procedures to make sure that their eyes and their nose and their lips. And their breasts, and their butts, and their stomachs, and their uh, everything else looks exactly this certain way. And I'm not trying to harp on the Kardashians. I think that this probably is a a trap that a lot of, especially female actresses, entertainers, you know, newscasters, whatever the case may be, find themselves here because the world tells them that their value is in how they look. And we were talking about how, man, having to go and consistently get new surgeries to augment or to tighten up or to uh, remove wrinkles or to make noses bigger or smaller lips plumper and then to be celebrated only for those things. So I, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, hey, cosmetic surgery is bad or, you know, I'm not, whatever. You get that, I think. But what I'm saying is they find themselves in this spot where they go through all these surgeries, all these procedures. And then at the end of the day, most of these pictures that are posted online, are photoshopped after that or filtered through Instagram after that. And they're watching people celebrate and love these images, right, of what they look like, of what their face and their body looks exactly like. That's celebrated. And I I told Annalise, I said, man, I, I think that would mess with you On a deep, deep level. To know what people love about me is actually not even natural me. It's me after a whole bunch of surgeries. It's me after a whole bunch of airbrushing and Photoshop and filters after those surgeries. And makeup and spending the exact right amount of uh, not spending, but getting the exact right lighting. It, everything is created to highlight what's good and to totally erase or to totally minimize flaws. And I think in some way, what that would do to somebody mentally, emotionally, emotionally, I think it would wreck you to know that I'm celebrated for, first of all, only this superficial stuff, but second of all, only this superficial stuff that I'm making look a very certain way, that I'm presenting exactly how it needs to be presented to hide any flaws, to hide it, make sure that not a whole lot of reality creeps in, right? And like I say, this is not to bash the Kardashians. This is not to bash um, other people who have had cosmetic surgery. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm trying to do here is help put this idea of the true self and the false self into a picture that we can understand. And what happens when we build up our defenses, when we spend so much of our time trying to minimize and hide flaws, trying to accentuate only our strengths, only the things that we're good at and wonderful at, I think what that does is it, it messes with us, right? Because deep down, we know, hey, there are some things about me I know, as I'm saying this, there are some things about me that I wish I didn't do, that I wish I didn't think, that I wish I didn't feel. And if I spent my whole life only trying to show, man, I'm just nailing it. Every single day I wake up and I do everything exactly how I want to. My life, according to the way I've laid it out, is perfect. My actions and thoughts and words, man, you can't go through a day and be more flawless than I've been today. That's crazy, right? And I know that it's not real. When we hide like that, I really believe that it messes with us on a deep level. And I want to read a little bit of something that I'm in the middle of, uh, actually, probably, you know, I record these episodes a few weeks before they actually get posted. And so I'm thinking that probably by the time this actually is uploaded and published, that I'll probably have already sent this book to uh, not to the publisher, but to the editor. So the process of me actually writing is coming to a close as I'm recording this. But hopefully, by the time it's published, I'll have already sent this book off to, um, to my, to not my editor, I don't know, I guess it is, but to the editor to take a look and uh, clean up any of the grammar and the bad writing and, you know, those kind of things. But I'm working on writing something right now about what the first five years of marriage has taught Annalise and I. And I wanna read a section from this book that is, you know, it's it's in a book where I'm talking about marriage. So there are gonna be some specific references to in our relationship. But I believe that these things hold true no matter where we find ourselves when it comes to hiding. And so I mentioned Uh, Right before this, I'm talking about uh, a moment in Jesus' life where I talked about this in episode five of the podcast where a woman caught in adultery is brought before Jesus by these religious leaders. And the leaders have one idea about what should happen when somebody messes up. And it seems like Jesus has a different idea. So here I'm just going to read uh, what I've been writing and working on about uh, this idea of hiding. In the same way, I believe that God wants to offer us freedom moving forward. But the first step in this process is the worst part, the exposure of a fault. If we have the religious leader's view on sin and flaws, then we'll make every effort to avoid the exposure of any shortcomings or flaws. Because we view that exposure as what happens right before the swift judgment and punishment comes. But Jesus' response was the opposite. The exposure of the fault was actually the key step in the process that allowed correction and healing to take place. This requires a massive amount of trust in both God and in our partner to allow something of ourselves to be exposed. This is so hard because it's the opposite of what most of us have been practicing for as long as we can remember. Think about how hard we work to keep our flaws from being exposed. We try on article after article of clothing to find the most flattering look. We delete selfie after selfie so that we're left with a couple that were taken from just the right angle. And then we add a filter to that picture. We clean and organize our homes when we have company coming over. Certainly none of these things are bad or wrong, but think about what all those things have in common. We're trying to highlight the positive things about us while we minimize or hide the negative things. But when it comes to spirituality and vulnerability, the opposite is what we need to start doing. We need to let our spouse see our flaws and shortcomings. We need to admit them to God. And we don't do that so we can receive the punishment that we think we deserve We do it so that we can experience correction and healing. If you're going to open up and genuinely experience intimacy in your marriage or in your relationship with God, you have to stop hiding. Allowing the truth about yourself to be fully exposed is scary. But intimacy is about being fully known and fully loved and there's no shortcut to that destination. You have to do the hard work of opening up and letting parts of yourself, even parts that aren't flattering, be known by your spouse. The reasoning here is twofold. First, as I've been saying, and as Jesus' interaction with this woman illustrates, the exposing has to happen before the correction and healing can take place. Second, If you continue to hide, you can't help but put limits on the shared life that you have with your partner. If you're hiding, you end up being in positions where you may have to lie to keep the concealment going. You can't leave your phone laying on the counter. You have to avoid having genuine conversations after a church service where something that was said touched a nerve. Hiding is tiring. And I want to say that if you find yourself in that hiding spot right now and you're going, man, yeah, I know. I know that it's tiring. Uh, I've been trying to present a version of myself that I know is not reality. But I just don't know if I was honest about my flaws and about these ideas that sometimes creep in about the words that I sometimes allow myself to use to describe other people or the world around me. If I was honest about some of the things I do when nobody sees, um, I, I don't know what would happen. If I expose that stuff about myself, I don't know what would happen next. And you know what? That's what it feels like to choose to hide over exposing. And I I really do believe that as I mentioned in this passage I just read, that exposure of the fault or the flaw or the shortcoming or however you want to describe it, that's the first step toward healing. And like I say, the reason that God wants this for us is because he knows we're carrying this burden where maybe this last line that I just read really resonated with you. Hiding is tiring. Tiring. Maybe you're going, yeah, don't I know that? Uh, that's how I'm living life. I want to read you something from Psalm 139. And this is David, uh, a Psalm of David. And we know that David was not a perfect guy, right? He made some pretty big, it's hard to even call them mistakes. He made some pretty big Uh, life-altering, horrible choices, right? Especially that altered the lives of some of the people around him. And this is what he writes. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now I want you to to hear what David is writing there in the context of knowing how often we go through life trying to hide. He spends these, what is it, eleven verses that we just read, and then even some of those that come next in the rest of the chapter saying, God, you know me so fully, so well, so intimately, you know what I do, you know what I think, you know, you know me. And what's awesome is God knows us that well, and God loves us, right? The fear of why we hide is because we think, man, I know that I've got some unlovable behaviors. I know that I've got some unlovable thoughts. I know that if I'm left to my own, if I'm, if I really let who I am be known, what's going to happen is nobody's going to love me. David writes in verse after verse after verse of Psalm 139, God, you know me so fully. You know me so well. You know me inside and out. You know what I'm thinking. And he loves us an amazing thing right so if our whole plan of hiding of presenting one version of ourselves when we know it's not really fully honestly me it's usually out of fear that man if i'm really myself why be loved why be accepted Will people like me for who I am? And the answer from God is a resounding yes. Now, that doesn't mean love doesn't mean unconditional. You do whatever you want and I'm going to continue to just praise you for it, right? Love sometimes how it plays out. Looks like correction, looks like confrontation, looks like, hey, there are some things that you need to clean up. Doesn't mean I love you less in the middle of cleaning things up, but it means I love you enough to tell you, hey, you got to work on some of these things because there's a better way to live. And what I want to encourage you to do, if you've been hiding, if you've been living life that way, whether it's with one or two things or with a whole bunch of things, understand how fully God already knows you. We think we're hiding from him, but we're not. That doesn't work. It's not doable. He already knows, and he loves us. Fully knowing us, he fully loves us. It's amazing, right? And the good news from this passage and from the bigger picture idea of what we're talking about here is that we don't have to hide anymore. Because we know from firsthand experience, from trying it over and over and over again, hiding is tiring. And what God says is, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to try to pretend you're different than or better than you are. You need to let go of that stuff. You need to let the truth, the reality be exposed, and then growth can happen. And so if you've been holding out, if you've been hiding thinking you're hiding from God but definitely been hiding from the people around you i know what that feels like i've if you want to listen to some of the episodes i did on meditation you know i've already shared my own journey of having to surrender and having to reveal and having to let go of some things that really in a bizarre way, I was like, wow, these, these scripture passages about dying, I get it now. I really do. It's crazy, right? When we hide, when we protect that false self, when we try to hold on to pieces of the old self that don't make sense, as part of this new creation of what God's doing in our lives. I want to encourage you. And the reason I can talk about it this way is because I've experienced this. When I thought, I guess, that I was holding out and hiding because what all that would come next was judgment and condemnation and punishment and guilt heaped on top of guilt, what I found instead when I said, okay, God, I'm going to let this stuff be exposed because I I can see you're showing me that's the only way forward. And what I found on the other end of it doesn't mean every step along the way was a wonderful, joy-filled I loved every second of it occasion. But when I stopped hiding, and I said, okay, God, you already know this stuff about me. I want to let it be known, and I want to grow. What I found, instead of the judgment, condemnation, guilt that we expect, was instead God was saying, hey, I'm inviting you to this. Because there's a better way to live. You don't have to live this old self way anymore. You don't have to keep repeating patterns of behavior that you know are disconnecting you from me, that you know are leaving you chasing after fulfillment and it it never works. God offers us a way out of hiding. If you're living in it right now, you're tired. I know. I was so tired. God offers a better way.